Hello and welcome to the Back Nine Report. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. In other words, if it happened in golf, hey, we have it for you. My name is Carlos Torres. Every week, I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Alvader. Fred, hi, how are you today? Carlos, uh, I'm great. Uh, wow, it uh, was a very busy week in the sports world. You had the uh, untimely death of uh, NBA legend Kobe Bryant. Uh, that was very sad. Uh, we had the Super Bowl, and I know you're uh, sad and depressed from that uh, because your guys didn't quite get it done. Plus, uh, we had a little golf in Saudi Arabia, Morocco, and in Phoenix. So, um you know, so are you over the Super Bowl now? Is, is, is are we past that? Are you okay? Well, I am past it. I mean, uh, I I I've been listening. I don't know why. I listen to the on the radio thanks to radio dot com. Right, I I listen to the sports station, the game in San Francisco every time that I'm driving, and I'm just hearing everybody just complaining, angry, and all that. So, I don't know if I'm a masochist or what. I, I say I'm over it, but I keep listening to those things. So I don't know why. But, yeah, hey, I, they they had a great season. I'm not going to dwell too much on it. We, we felt short. Uh, I, actually, I have right now a sweatshirt of uh, the San Francisco 49ers. So maybe I, I'm not over it. I don't know. I, I, I might need some treatment. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, they look to me like they're on the right path. I, you know, they 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 play really well. I love the running game, and uh, Garoppolo's really a good quarterback. He's getting a bad rap right at the minute that you know everybody's saying he lost that game. But hey, Kansas City's just you know Mahomes is great. So what are you going to do? It was it was a really good ball game. But Carlos, uh, as the 2020 Winter Golf Tour continues, we're in New Orleans right this minute. We're looking forward to a couple of outstanding. Um, culinary delights over the next day or so here. We're going to be heading to Baton Rouge, uh, home of the national champion LSU Tigers, and then on to Lake Charles, and then we're coming through your town, Dallas, here a little bit later in the week. Uh, we've been posting updates and a couple of videos to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram uh, documenting our progress, talking with some of the very interesting folks along the way, so I hope everybody's kind of following that. But, Carlos, tonight, the biggest stories in golf, we've got Webb Simpson bested uh, Tony Finau in Phoenix. The coronavirus causes the LPGA to cancel the China event. And surprisingly, surprisingly, the USGA and the RNA released their long-awaited distance report and find that the ball is going farther and golf courses are getting longer. Surprise, shock, and awe. Let's get to it, Carlos. we got a lot to talk about. Let's go. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that because for all the 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 what they paid for it, they could have paid us. We could have done the same thing <laughs> for less for less. In money. a lot less words. In a lot and less a words. Lot, and a lot a lot quicker too. I mean, just, but anyway, let, let's leave it for later. Uh, that's going to be on our practice range, our topic of the week. But let's start as usual with the weekend vaccine and we're going to start on the european tour which had the big stars there at the saudi international powered by softbank investment advisors all 
aim for a tournament. And it's not the longest, but it's long. Anyway, I have to say that after five and a half years, out of the winner's circle there on the European Tour, Graham McDowell, GMAC, he won the Saturday International and returned to the top 50 in the world. He began that day with a lead, then he was at level par 70 in windy conditions, but it was enough to win by two from the defending champion, Dustin Johnson. He was as low as 262nd in the world, and that was as recent as last March. And having been a vice captain at the 2018 Ryder Cup, some may have thought that the 40-year-old's days are the top were over. No way. However, then he went on and won the PGA Tour at the Corrales Cana Resort and Club Championship at the end of March, and this win now takes him back inside the top 50. GMAC really was one was out one over in the final day in Saudi, and a bogey on the difficult 13th opened the door for his rivals, but then he immediately firmly slammed it shut with back-to-back birdies in the 14 and 15 before he coasted home with a two-stroke win. <clears throat> GMAC, by the way, I said it, he's a 40-year-old now. He was very emotional after his victory. He was saying that he was excited for the future in this last phase of his career. Man, last phase at 40 years old. He's not maybe counting the champion story, but I, I don't know. Now that he has completed his goal to get back into the top 50, he wants to return to the top 20 and maybe a chance at a major glory again. Fred, to top the top 10 in the South International Leaderboard, <clears throat> GMAC was uh, first at 12 under, Dustin Johnson 10 under, solo second, Gavin Green, Phil Mickelson, and Thomas Peters tied for third at 9 under. Phil went there and did pretty well, let me tell you. Abraham answered Thomas Dietrich, Victor Dubuisson, Ross Fisher, and Sergio, my guy, Sergio Garcia. All of them finished T for six. Uh, Shane Lowry was uh, T13. Brooks Kepka finished T17 after starting the day at T7, and Hendrick Stenson T44. And Fred, the biggest mover on the race to Dubai race there was Victor Duisson, who jumped 108 spots to 47 with his T6 finish. So that's a name that we had not been saying a lot, but he seems to be popping up back again on the top of the leaderboard. Victor Duisson, so watch out. He seems to be finally healthy and finally able to be back on top of his game. Yeah, but you failed to mention the big news last week is that Sergio didn't attack any uh, random bunkers. (laughs) I I, I know that you were going to say that, so I let you take the glory for that one. Sergio, it wasn't me. I wasn't me. It was Fred. I stayed away from that. I, I told you that he wasn't attacking. I, I, was I corrected waiting. everyone last week that he wasn't attacking. He was just trying to change the shape. That yeah. they, he, you know, he's going to yeah. have a second career. It's, he's a course designer. Course it's part of his course design yeah, he, practice, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's learning, and that's mm. the way of him practicing. Yeah. I got you. Okay. Uh, G-Mac, um, you know, uh, it, he has been coming back and coming back. We've seen that the last, uh, what, year and a half, two years? Um, you know, yep. he kind of slipped away, found other stuff off the golf course, and 
you know, this is a pretty big event. A lot of a lot of good names there. So a good win. This is a good win for him, uh, for sure. Uh, other names uh, this week: uh, Phil, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka. Uh, Kepka changed his driver mid-tournament. Did you see that? He switched from a TaylorMade M5 to a Callaway Maverick. Their new uh, their new line this year. Um, so that was big news. Uh, he does not have a um, does not have a, an equipment contract since Nike uh, got out of the business back in 2016. So he's kind of a free agent. Um, did you see where uh, McDowell got a slow play warning because uh, he was giving an interview on the course? And you know Kepka had complained about this. They asked him if he would do an a, a, a interview on the course while he's playing. He says, "No way. Don't bother me. Stay away from me. I'm working." Uh, G Mac, uh, the Sky Sports guy, uh, walked along with him on one hole and asked him if he could, you know, get a quick interview. And they were talking as he walked down. He gets down to his ball. He's first to play. And he takes a minute to get his club, and and all of a sudden, he, you know, they're the Europeans. They're serious about this slow play stuff. They give him a slow play warning, put him on the clock. So um, it didn't affect anything. It didn't uh, didn't affect this round. He, he finished out the hole okay. Um, he said, uh, I got the, uh, got the bad time, uh, but he said it didn't really bother anything. Um, there's no problem. So, uh, uh, it all worked out. Um, let's see. We got, uh, Phil also was using that Maverick driver. So that's maybe something you need to get to a range. Try one of those out cars. I'm going to have to go try out a Maverick. All the, all the big guys are swinging Callaway this year. So, uh, may have to go check that out. Hey, just mentioning uh, Brooks Kepka, I have a couple of things to mention about him. Uh, and it's not related to that, but really, if you saw the Super Bowl, I don't know if you saw the, the snail jellyfish uh, fist bump that appeared. Only one golfer appeared on the Super Bowl ad where all those stars were when it was taken to the home for the at the beginning of the game. And it was Brooks Kepka, the one that did that pump, fist pump to the boy that was carrying the ball. So I that should tell you something. I would have expected maybe like that big name, like Tiger Woods or maybe Phil Mickelson, one of the biggest draws uh, commercially, even Rory McIlroy. But Brooks Koepka is not being known as an as a potential, you know, marketing uh, power engine, but he was the only one that was there on that Super Bowl commercial, which really caught my attention when I saw it. I was like, oh, that's Brooks. It wasn't Tiger or anybody else. So I did not see that. You didn't see that? Yeah, it was. He was the. No, the, I, I the saw. Boy was, I saw the commercial. I saw. Yeah, I saw the ad. The ad was fantastic with the kid running in. Oh, I yeah. saw that. Uh, yeah, that was great, but I did I didn't catch the Brooks Kepka thing. That was a good catch there. Yeah, so it, it, it's interesting, you know, that it was him, the one that he's already the number one golfer in the world, but he can add now a Super Bowl, add cameo to his long list of accomplishments. Uh, of course, he had appeared in Jimmy Fallon's uh, Michelob Ultra spot that aired late in the third quarter. Uh, of the Super Bowl. So anyway, uh, another side news that concerned him, but maybe not directly, but is that Rory McIlroy will ascend to the top spot of the official World Golf rankings when it gets updated next Monday, despite that he, he's not going to be playing this week. It will also happen regardless of what happens at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. McIlroy is just 0.2 points behind of Brooks, 
was not playing this week either. So right now, he then floated second and third before we're getting into the top of the year. But uh, Roy McIlroy will be the new number one next week. And he has spent already 95 weeks at the world number one. He's just three more weeks at the top to overtake Nick Faldo for a total of 98 weeks. And then he will become number three. If he managed that, he will be only behind... Tiger Woods, 683. Good luck getting to that one. And even <laughs> Greg Norman, who's second at 331. Good, good luck with that one, too. So, anyway, any comments on that, uh, those two things, before we move on to the PGA Tour? Yeah, so he'd have to be uh, 200 weeks. He'd have to be number one for, like, four years to catch uh, to catch Greg. Wow. That, uh, that really puts it in perspective, doesn't it, with Tiger? Um, 600 mm-hmm. some weeks. That's 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 unbelievable. And nobody's even even remotely close to that. That's that's still a big number. Um, yeah, yeah, even no, Greg, I, right? I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, even for Greg. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, no, that's all I've got with uh, with the Saudi, Carlos. All right, so let's move on to the PGA Tour. Uh, we're it was only two holes to play in Phoenix, and if you were watching it, it looked like Tony Finau, finally. It was like, oh, finally, he's going to seal his first full-field PGA Tour victory. <laughs> he had he had won, and this I know very well because it was in front of me when he won the opposite field Puerto Rico Open in 2016. He was too clear with two to play at the TPC Scottsdale, and the victory was inside. But, however, Webb Simpson, he had other things in mind. <laughs> Fino finished par-par, while Simpson then drove the green on the par-4 17th and two-putted for birdie before a clutch birdie at the 18th. Simpson smoked a three-wood over 300 yards down the last in regulation. Webb Simpson did that, yes. Then he wedged it on to some 15 to 20 feet and rolled the putt in that center Still, Fina had a chance there to win, but his eight-foot birdie putt slipped on the low side, so he didn't make it. The pair then headed back to the 18 for a playoff, and Simpson once again smoked his three with 300 yards plus <laughs> down the fairway, while Fina found the sand down the left. That should tell you something who was in control there. Both men wedged it to within birdie range, but Fino again slipped by. But this time, I think it affected him when he saw it the first time when he was there. He lost it on the low side, but this time he went the high side. He may, he might have thought he was going to break more, and he went high and he slipped it by. Then Simpson rolled his uh, 10-footer for a superb comeback victory. Fred, rounding off the top 10, where Webb Simpson, number one, uh, number two was Tony Finau. JT and Bubba Watson finished T-third, along with Nate Lashley at 14-under. Max Homa, Scott Piercy were tied for sixth, and Adam Long was eight. Uh, Fred, I have to say that Simpson is arguably the game's best potter right now. He's up to the seventh in the world after winning his sixth PGA Tour title. He hasn't been ranked as this high as seventh in the world since October of 2012. He's also playing the best golf of his life. Maybe the one of the hottest players in the planet. Fred, if you tally his last 10 results, they're first, 
third, T10, second, T7, T20, T24, T18, second and second. He definitely is playing the best golf of his career. He's trying to feed five kids. He needs the money. Come on. He's motivated. They keep they keep having kids. They were saying on the, they were saying on TV uh, uh, Webb's got five and Tony has four. So uh, they both got big families. But no, Webb is playing very good. Uh, Tony Finau, I like you. I thought this was his after uh, after like the 13th, 14th hole. I thought, okay, he's got this wrapped up. He's in good shape. Got a two shot lead. Uh, but really, the key hole was 17, uh, which should be a birdie hole. And um, Webb attacked it with the driver, uh, which he can because it was the right distance for him, and it rolled up right on, on the right fringe, and he was able to two-putt for the birdie. But Tony had to lay back with a wood. Now, I'm not sure if he chose a five-wood or, you know, even if with a three-wood was, was the wrong club or whatever, but evidently it got up in the air and it knocked down into that bunker, which was about 60 yards short of the green, which uh, was really amazing. I mean, he could hit a two-iron over that thing. So I don't know how that happened, if he just mishit it or whatever, but failed to get it up and down for birdie out of that bunker. He hit to the front part of the green, that a long putt, did make the par. But uh, with, uh, with Webb making birdie now, he's only one down. And then on 18, they both bomb it down there, hit beautiful shots. Fina has a 366 yards. 366 yards, 18th. Beautiful shot, right edge of the fairway. Great look at the hole, 83 yards out. Knocks it on with a little wedge, just a little bit past, and just misses the putt coming back for birdie and the win. Um, and, and, boy, they had a great camera angle of Webb Simpson's putt. I mean, they were right behind me, just saw it go up and take that break dead center of the hole. Uh, and then Webb really has a, kind of the, the momentum going, you know, by catching them up there on 17 and 18 and then closing it out on 18 when uh, – on 18 the second time in the first playoff when uh, Finau drove it in the, the bunker of the church pews there on the left. So uh, one of the cool things out of this tournament was that Colin Morikawa uh, had a bunch of eagles. Uh, during Saturday's third round, he eagled all – there was only three par fives on this golf course, par 71 – and he eagled all three of them, the 3rd, the 13th, and the 15th on Saturday. And then on Sunday, he eagled the first par 5 again, number 3. So I gave him four eagles in a row. Uh, he didn't manage birdies, uh, any more eagles the rest of the day, uh, but, uh, but he did get four in a row, three, all three on uh, Saturday and one on Sunday. Um, my question to you, though, Carlos, is, did Finau lose this, or did Webb Simpson win it? Mm, that's uh, that's very interesting. But I, I really think Webb earned it. Uh, Tony really played well. Uh, Webb did the final that he had to do. I think Finau played it as good as he can. He went par par, but really Webb was the one who made it happen to force that playoff. I know that Fino had that had that chance to win it. It was just an eight foot birdie putt, but I don't think he he choked or anything. I, I it was more of how Simpson was able to be aggressive. He knew he had to make it that way. I mean that three went over three hundred yards <laughs> on the on the eighteen. It was like he did it twice. 
So he he's really playing really really well. Uh, it showed also in the in the President's Cup. He's been like for the past uh, year and a half, I would say, he's been playing really really well. So uh, hands down to to Webb Simpson, he he really did it. Final, yeah, he might have done better, but uh, no, I I wouldn't I wouldn't take anything away from the way that Webb came back and won it. I agree with you. Uh, Finau played pretty well. He did make pars coming in. Uh, didn't, you know, needed a birdie, at least one more birdie on 17 or 18. Didn't get it. But, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I didn't expect Webb to go birdie-birdie to, to time. I yeah. just, you know, to come back and do that, that, that was really good. So, um, your boy, uh, Jordan, remember him, Jordan Spieth, little Jordy. Uh, 74 on Thursday. Ouch. When everybody's shooting uh, five, six under, he's shooting uh, three over. 60 did come back with 69 on uh, Friday, but uh, not enough. Uh, missed another cut. Um, he says, um, you know, I don't know. Just uh, it's, it's a job. The good, he had an eagle from 20 feet on the par 5, 15th. The bad, he three-putted bogey from nine feet on the par 3, 16th. The ugly, Badly missed wedge from the middle of the fairway and par four sixth that led to one of three bogeys. Uh, Seventy four on Thursday had four bogeys, only one birdie. Um, not not a good look there. Said he's been changing his grip. The results are spotty at best after his latest miscut. Uh, he ranks outside the top fifty. Uh, that's not good. You can't get in the uh, in the good stuff if you're outside the top fifty. Uh, Spee says this latest grip change will take maybe two to three months to nail down. He's also trying to get a little flatter with his uh, shaft and a club close face and a backswing. That's dangerous. That's where you get those big pulls. Look out. Um, so it's an unusual feeling for me. It's been difficult to trust, especially with uh, changes in the grip. Um, he said, he said uh, I miss a lot of left shots with the grip. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what's going to happen. I don't know who's telling you what you're doing there, but... Uh, be careful. That's that's dangerous stuff there. Um, so um, in Thursday's opening round, um, he ranked 99th in strokes gained tee to green, 114th in strokes gained putting, um, and made just 45 feet of putts all day. So on uh, Friday, he did hit 16 greens, uh, but he was still inconsistent. Had three birdies, an eagle, three bogeys. Um, so, you know, it just it was not a good look for him. Um, and uh, when he was sitting right on the cut line on Friday, needing to make par coming down the last hole, uh, couldn't get it done. Um, got, I mean, short side himself in a bunker and, and couldn't get it close enough to make a putt. So, uh, T55 last week at Torrey, now a miscut at the uh, Waste Management. Uh, he's got a lot of work to do. And the uh, players is coming up uh, here in a few weeks, so uh, he better he better get to work. I mean, and he's uh, well, I'm going to talk about it later, but he's one of the few names that we recognize that that's really going to be playing this week. So maybe he can find something this week. I don't know. Uh, a lot of tributes to Kobe uh, during the Waste Manage- Management uh, Phoenix Open. Um, you had the uh, 16th hole featured Kobe's numbers, uh, the eight and the 24 painted on the approach of the green, and the flag. Had both numbers on opposite sides of the flag. Uh, players were wearing commemorative, commemorative jerseys. Um, so you had a lot of stuff going on for Kobe. Um, really, really untimely. We didn't talk about that much at the beginning, but it's, it's so bad. That's, uh, that's just an awful thing and, and taken way, way too soon. But uh, 
Um, good to see at the uh, at Phoenix that they they did a lot of honoring uh, for Kobe. Yeah, that was nice because that 16 hole they cut it 24 paces on and eight from the left edge of the green to honor uh, Brian's two most recognized jersey numbers, uh, the eight and 24. And like you said, also the flag there in the hole was eight point on one side, 24, and the other JTE and Tony Finau. They both wore Brian jerseys to honor him as they were playing there. Uh, Tony did the, the eight and JT did the 24. Uh, it was fun to see that. And like you said, uh, another uh, tragic and uh, I talked about it last week because, of course, uh, <laughs> I'm a Lakers fan, uh, lifelong diehard fan, Lakers fan, and, and it really hits me. Uh, but it's really interesting, and I have never seen that, how much outpour of support has been out there for across, Kobe Bryant. Across and, and sports, across all sports. All from, sports we heard from everybody. Sports. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody had a story. It was like even I was watching Alex Ovechkin on the Washington Capitals use the 24 to honor uh, Kobe Bryant, and he had a story. He had it, it was like from everywhere <clears throat> you start to see this, and it was such a different angle from what a lot of people used to know from him playing basketball, and uh, and it's it's like Jim Rome was saying that. They were they were thinking about using the Staples Center to do the public honoring for Kobe Bryant when he was going to be you know the public velatory, but no, they're going to use the Coliseum for it. It's just too small. That's how big mm. the response and how much people are expected to go and pay their tributes uh, to Kobe Bryant one more time and, you his, know, and his daughter. And yeah. It- and something I didn't realize as well, um, I was watching a college game Jay Billis was doing, and Jay was saying you know, a lot of kids in the college game had the Kobe's number on their shoes or, you know, were doing something. And uh, I said, you know, people don't realize, but Kobe spent a lot of time working with uh, young kids on basketball and at different Nike camps and different things. And he said he, a lot of these kids personally knew Kobe and, and had spent time with them by going to these top flight camps and all that kind of thing. So uh, uh, he even spent a lot of time doing that, Carlos. Yeah, he, he had he had been taking on that grow the game and, and try to help uh, younger people, especially a lot of, uh, of the female uh, basketball players. He was involved in the WNBA. And, of course, with his daughter, Jana, who wanted to be uh, just like him, but in the WNBA. So a very, very sad story. Uh, all our condolences go to his family and to, of course, uh, the other seven people that died there, their families as well. So uh, very sad for to see that happen so soon for all of them. All right, with that, we close that part and we move on to the Champions Tour where former Gamecock Mains golfer Brett Quickly won the Morocco Champions Tournament. That was this Saturday on just his second start on the PGA Tour Champions. Gotta say that he made two crucial par saves on those final two holes and hold off Stephen Ames. Quickly shot 69, 66, and 66 for a 54-hole total of 201 or 15 under. He got into the field as one of the top 10 players from the PGA Tour's career money list 
and some facts about him because of course he's may not be that very well-known name. He's a Barrington, Rhode Island native. He graduated in 1991 from South Carolina, where he earned honorable mention All-America honors in his senior season after tallying six top ten finishes. He also garnered academic All-America laurels and made the first team All-Metro Conference that season. He also made that first-team All-Metro selection in 1989 and 1990. Uh, he had five runner-up finishes in 408 career PGA Tour starts. Not a win. He made 240 cuts, over $11 million. But, Fred, this was the first in a PGA Tour sanctioned event since he won the 2001 Arkansas Classic on what is now known as the Corn Ferry Tour. That's not a the Arkansas Classic isn't a major. Uh, that I mean that should be a major, right? I, oh goodness gracious! Um, yeah, Carlos, fifteen. He made Brett Quigley. Brett, Brett Quigley. That's even tough to say for me. Made fifteen major starts. He only made five cuts. He had zero wins on the regular tour. Four hundred and eight starts. He had one hundred sixty-two cuts out of those four hundred and eight starts. He only had 34 top tens, but listen to this. Listen to this. His total career earnings were over $11 million. This is why it's good to make it to the PGA Tour. You don't have to be top 50 in the world to make a lot of money playing on the PGA Tour. Um, hasn't really played on tour since 2011. He's been playing the, uh, the Corn Ferry Tour here and there. Uh, last year, I think he made one cut in five starts or something like that. Um, Brett said, you know, I think it helped not having been playing too much over the last few years. Had a lot of years off. I had a leg problem. I had three fractured vertebrae, so I've been home for almost seven years raising girls. I think I have a little different perspective on playing the game of golf right now. So uh, his uncle, a funny little story, his uncle, Dana Quigley, of course, you know, had such a great career on the Champions Tour, was a well-known New York area uh, golf pro, um, teacher, uh, and just when he when he got a chance to play in the senior tour, you know, uh, he won like 11 times out there. And when Brett qualified to get to the uh, to the Champions Tour, he told his uncle uh, he was going to outdo his total of 11 uh, Champions Tour wins. And his uncle just calmly replied, he said, well, you might want to just start with the first one first. And, well, he did just that. So uh, he's 111th of the way to uh, tying his uncle now. Uh, he's a Champions Tour winner. Uh, maybe a guy to watch this year, Carlos. Like he said, he's got a new attitude. He's had some time off. He's kind of fresh. You know, he's ready to go. He's hungry. So um, Stephen Ames trying to get back on the uh, Champions Tour, uh, get a full-time membership there. He had a good week. And Longer, T5, look out. He's lurking. He's pissed because McCarron took his trophy last year. He wants it back in 2020. <laughs> That's the story. He's chased for Hale Irwin's all-time record but we'll see that we'll cover him every week and see how he does now this time last year davis riley was just getting his professional career started he's native from hattiesburg mississippi and he left the university of uh, university of alabama early to start his pro journey how his path has changed in a year riley managed to hold on for his first Corn Ferry Tour victory, that was Sunday at the Panama Championship. It was a fairly uneventful day for him at the club, the golf, the Panama in Panama City, 
until he reached that par, the dreaded par 5, 12 hole, when Riley jarred a 70-footer for Eagle Dare. I mean, he knew he could close out a win if he just kept it together coming in. And he did, and he did. <laughs> Riley had a final round 69. That left him at two under, good enough for one shot ahead of Roberto Diaz. He was playing on the developmental tour. Uh, and, it, you know, this can offer many lessons for a young professional like him. Among the latest one, I think he learned how to close. He really did. In 2019, Riley had no status on the Corn Ferry Tour. He was relying basically on Monday qualifying for playing opportunities. Then he was able to secure status in June, set up a year that has some level of consistency and routine. And uh, for him, this is his third Corn Ferry start tour this year. Uh, start this year. He opened the season with the top 10 at the Bahamas Great Exuma Classic. That was just two weeks ago. Last season, he made the cut in all but five of his 18 starts, but only logged one top 10 finish. Interestingly, among those cuts were the was here at the Panama Championship. So, Fred, what a difference a year makes for him. Yeah, you're exactly right. Began last year uh, out on the Cornford Tour with no status. Playing in money qualifiers, you know how hard that is. That's like the hardest thing in the world to do. And then he ends up uh, making enough money in the first, uh, first part of the season that he gets his uh, special temporary membership by June. Um, so then he's able to get on to get into more tournaments and, and play and uh, ends up finished 70th uh, at the end of the year. So that gives him membership this year. So he's a, he's a full member of the Corn Ferry Tour. And, now he wins. Uh, he's set up. Carlos, really, if he, uh, you know, we've talked about a couple of these guys have won already. If, they, you know, another couple top tens or a couple strong finishes, boom, they got their PA, PGA card for 2021. Definitely. And as a side news, uh, 30 years ago this week, the Corn Ferry Tour, then known as the Ben Hogar Tour, held its first event. That was the 1990 Bakersfield Open. After two previous attempts at creating a developmental circuit for the golf's next rising stars, the Hogan Tour was devised as a 30-event series with one season-long umbrella sponsor where the highest-performing players will earn a PGA Tour card at season's end. And since that week, the Tour, which has progressed through iterations as the Nike Tour, Buy.com Tour, the Nationwide Tour, Web.com Tour, and now Confer Tour, has not only produced hundreds of winners, but 545 alumni wins on the PGA Tour. So congratulations to the Corn Ferry Tour on turning 30 and bringing up some very good players on to the PGA Tour. Fred, anything else before we move on to the forecall? No, I'm, I'm good. I got one more question for you sometime. I'm going to save it. I'm going to make you worry about it. I may put you on spot here. We'll see how the show goes. Okay, guys, uh, this is for me. It uh, Fred will continue now on his own for the rest of the show because I am not going to be here for that question. And you know, you know what this question is. <laughs> <laughs> has to do with Good night, uh, with, uh, Good night, with a halftime with a halftime Super Bowl show. <laughs> You're gonna put me at the spot, huh? Oh my I'm God! Gonna put you on this. No, 
so hopefully my wife is not listening to this. Uh, I don't know. Oh, my God. This is not good. We'll see. Anyway, let's move on to the four call. Hey, the PGA Tour will be at Pebble Beach this weekend for the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Uh, they played this uh, tournament over three golf courses. It's the Pebble Beach Golf Links, uh, the Spy Hill uh, golf course and the Monterrey Peninsula golf course. Uh, they played over the first three days and then they finished at the Pebble Beach Golf Links on Sunday. The purse is $7.8 million. The winner earns $1.368 million and, of course, 500 FedEx Cup points. The defending champion is Phil Mickelson, while JT still the season-long FedEx Cup leader. Last year's uh, tournament finished on Monday due to darkness in the final round. That was when Phil Mickelson beat Paul Casey by three strokes for his fifth victory at Pebble Beach, which ties him with Mark O'Mara for the most in tournament history. At 48, Mickelson also became the oldest winner in tournament history. Paul Casey won the Pro-Am portion of the event with FedEx President and CEO Don Colloran. Previous event winner Jordan Spieth was ranked number three entering the tournament in 2018. And like you said, he's now out of the top 50, now 55, has not won since the Open Championship in 2017. And uh, this would be a good tournament for him to try to win or at least come back and start going well because he has, he has played well before here. Uh, he has won before, so we'll see how he does. I still believe in you. Those are the four most powerful words you can tell anyone. <laughs> I believe in Carlos you. Carlos Torres still believes okay. in you. Jordan Spieth. Yeah, you know, that was, you know, I learned that from Bill Walsh, one of of the greatest coaches of all time. He said one of the, the four Niners. words that you can tell, one of the four powerful words you can tell anyone is, I believe in you, Jordan, I believe in you. The Pro-Am field <laughs> will include threat athletes from other sports, including, including Eli and Peyton Manning, Wayne Gretzky, Aaron Rodgers, and Tony Romo, Fred. Yeah, you got a bunch of rich guys teeing it up with the pros in Pebble Beach on the Monterey Peninsula. Oh, man, what a good deal. The weather can be a bit of an issue at Pebble in February, but I check. It's going to be glorious this week. Um, they want to bring out the uh, nice sweaters, though. Highs in the 50s, sweater weather. Uh, good early. The early morning tea times may be a bit brisk with lows in the mid-40s. The general forecast is sunny to partly cloudy and low, low, low 10% chance of rain. So should have nice weather this week. It can be, get a bit dicey there on the Monterey Peninsula this time of year. But when it's sunny at Pebble, the pictures are outstanding. The camera guys will be having a heyday. You want to watch that this weekend for sure. Um, this, of course, is a pro-am, so the players have those hackers to deal with every day. And the rounds tend to be a bit longer than normal, uh, five and a half, six rounds. They don't like that. Uh, but, hey, it's Pebble Beach. What else are you going to do? Look out over the, over the bay. Look out over the ocean. It's beautiful there. Uh, there's no uh, JT, DJ, Brooks, Rosie, Rory, or Rom to be found. The highest-ranked player in the field is uh, Patrick Cantley at number eight. And he may be the only top 20 player in the field. I'm not sure about that. Phil and Jordan Spieth are both there. Jordan's still trying to find something to use for the big events coming up. 
and um, they are just about the only two big names. Uh, you got Charles Schwartzel in there and a few other guys, but uh, this I, it's amazing to me how far this event has fallen uh, over the last few years with its spot in the schedule. Um, this time of year, it's probably just a little bit too far north. Uh, plus, it's a pro-am. Guys don't want to be out there with the amateurs. You got the Genesis is a big event. You got the the waste management's in the desert in in uh, in, in Phoenix. So you got warm weather down there. Um, they just it, it's tough to go up there and play in the cold and the wet and the wind. And uh, it's a lot nicer in L.A. and in Phoenix this time of year to get to get ready to go. Um, so yeah, this was always one of the brightest events. Uh, it's just uh, it's a little bit sad. Really, it's kind of only about one step up from a Corn Ferry Tour event right now, Carlos. Yeah, just to clarify something, Patrick Cantley is the second highest player in the field, DJ, who won here in 2009 and 10. He's going to be the, oh, the highest player. Okay. Yeah, DJ is there. So your best bet, and I'm going to try to start this this year, you know, because we're betting now in golf, so we can do those things, and uh, I'm the betting guy here. You're betting? Uh, There's gambling? There's gambling in golf? There's gambling. Yeah, there is. There is, oh, you my know. Goodness. And uh, Dustin Johnson. You got to put him there. He won here in 2009-2010, has five top three finishes in 12 starts. He has made 16 worldwide starts since his last win. Watch out for him. He comes from a second, solo second in Saudi International. Patrick Cantley, man, this man is a machine. He's a threat whenever he tees it up. He's the second highest uh, ranked player here. He has, also has three top fives in his past five official starts on the PGA Tour. Paul Casey, he has posted runner-up and T8 finishes in the event over the past two years. That's a safe bet here. Jason Day, he has top uh, five top six finishes in the event. He has yet to win, so be careful if you're going to play him for winning or just for a top ten. Brent Snedeker, he's also a two-time winner here, and he's up the West Coast swing in general. He seems to thrive here. Uh, Phil Mickelson, along with five wins, has a pair of runner-ups and third-place finishes. He's also coming off that T3 at Saturday International, and he plays very well here. And if you want to go then lower on the rankings, uh, it's just a matter of when, not if, Victor Hoffman Hoffman picks up his first PGA Tour win this year. He has missed three of four cuts, but was in contention before T12 at the U.S. Open here last summer. GMAC, wow, he's coming off that win. He was T18 here and T16 at the U.S. Open. And, oh, by the way, remember, he won at the U.S. Open in Pebble in 2010. Some more lower than that, Amax Homa has three top tens in his five tie start, five starts, including a T6 last week. He's feeling it. And Scott Stallings is a dark horse with long odds. He also has a T14, a solo seventh, and a solo third in these past three starts in this event. So there you have some best best bets to play. Now, if you want to watch hey, on TV Thursday, yes. Before you get away yes, from that, you know, you mentioned Brant Snedeker in there, does well on the West Coast. And, and one of the things there, especially up there at Pebble, you know, they get a lot of Poeana uh, uh, on these greens, so they get pretty rough this time of year. And he's got that little pop uh, potting stroke. Uh, and that works really well on a little bit rougher, a little bit shaggier greens because you, uh, you, the ball gets rolling a little bit better across that stuff, and uh, that's why he does well on the West Coast. Uh, that little putting stroke, that little pop stroke of his uh, gets that ball rolling on those pole greens. 
All right, so there you have it. It's, it's more than enhanced that bet now for Brent Snedeker. If you want to watch it on TV <laughs> and see if it, it, it if it fares out, hey, Thursday and Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time Golf Channel. Saturday, 1 to 2.45 p.m. Uh, on Golf Channel. Then switch from 3 to 6 to CBS. Then also it's going to be uh, almost the same on Sunday, 1 to 2.45 on Golf Channel. From 3 to 6.30 p.m. it will be on CBS the next tournament on the PGA Tour will be the Genesis Invitational next week now let's talk about the ISPS Hand Up Big Open and uh, this is for both tours uh, the LPGA the European Tour and also the Australia Ladies Professional Golf Tour so it's three tours that are co-sanctioning this so in this event, there will be men and women playing on even playing field. Uh, they will be playing at Victoria, Australia. The tournament will be played at the 13 Beach Golf Links in Barwon Heads there in Victoria, where they will play two courses, the Beach Course and the Creek Course. The, the Beach Course is a part 72, uh, and the Creek Course is a part 73. The purse is $1.1 million equal for men and women. The winners earn $165,000. The defending champs are Francis Celine Boutier on the LPGA Tour and Scotland's David Law on the European Tour. Boutier won by two strokes last year for her first LPGA Tour victory. She has also finished in the top 10 in each of this year's first two events. Uh, the field will consist of 144 men, 144 women, who will be playing one round each on the beach and creek courses over the first two days. The field will then be cut to 60 players plus ties for both men and women. All players will compete on the beach course for the final two rounds. Besides the defending champion, Celine Boutier, the women's field is pretty good. I mean, it includes Inbay Park, Stacey Lewis, Soyeon Ryu, Young Young Lee Six, Hannah Green, the recent winner on the OPGA Tour, Madeline Sackstrom, and of course the local favorite, Min Jae Lee, who will be is already delighted to see her twin brother, Min Woo, take part on the men's side. And that men's side will also include the defending champ, David Law. Aussie Wade Ornsby, who finished just a shot back from Law last year and was a winner as recently as just four, uh, four events ago when he won the Hong Kong Open. The Aussie is very, very decent on home soil, so should do well this week. Other notable men playing from home soil are Jeff Ogilvie, Marcus Fraser, and Brett Humford. Fred Houghton Lee and Sam Horsfield maybe the only other two recognizable names playing on the main side, which is really mainly composed by Australian players. Uh, that may be because, of course, uh, the purse is not that big, and uh, the time of the year, the place, the location, it, it will not attract a lot of men, but I still see this as one of the pioneering events where men and women are playing on a fair equal field money money wise yeah this is really not even a big big money event for uh for women uh 1.1 million um you know even the small lpj tour events have 1.2 1.4 
So it's, it's even not a big purse for the women's side. Uh, but the uh, the women are going down there. you got the, uh, the women's Australian Open coming up and a couple other things. So, um, you know, there is a reason for women to go down there. So they're playing, playing this while they're there to try and pick up a few bucks. Um, so yeah, this is a, this is a dual event. Uh, it's um, you know kind of a, a cutting edge kind of thing, and like you say, their their thing, their stick is that uh, it's equal purse for the men and equal purse for the women. You got 288 golfers, 288 pros. That's a lot uh, playing there. So uh, and really, I mean, you're giving out. I mean, you're giving out 2.2 million really total purse. Uh, and you got 244 golfers uh, vying for that. But uh, so all in all, it's a lot of money. But for each side, it's not that much for either one. So you do just get a lot of the local Australian pros for this, not a lot of big names for it. Um, last year of note, uh, James Nitties had the uh, nine consecutive birdies uh, in this tournament. Uh, he ended up um, uh, finishing down the uh, leaderboard a little bit. But uh, uh, nine consecutive birdies. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, former winners of the uh, Vic Open when it was just a men's tournament. You have, uh, of course, the great Australian Kel Nagel, Peter Thompson, Gary Player, Bruce Devlin, Greg Norman won over the years. So uh, it's been a, a, a tournament for a long time, back to the 50s. Um, it's been around. So it's it's a really good, uh, really good historical event. Um, you got men and women playing on the same course. Uh, as well as the same uh, uh, purse. Um, Minji Lee won here as an amateur. Uh, Georgia Hall, Mel Reed won. Um, good names on the women's side. Uh, also, you mentioned uh, Minwoo Lee. I think, um, I think he's leading the uh, driving stats for the, uh, for the European Tour, I think. Uh, he hits it pretty long, evidently. Um, also notable, you got some notable groups playing for the women, especially, uh, Celine Boutier will play with NB Park is in the tournament and Minji Lee, NB serious about, uh, making, getting back to the Olympics. She's, uh, she's playing a little bit more again. Uh, you've also got in another group, you got Hannah Green, who's a home uh, favorite there in Australia, playing with, uh, Zhang Zhang Lee Six and So Young Ru. So, um, also Carlos, I just want to mention, uh, something caught my eye, the, uh, UL International Crown Rankings, um, and uh, we've got uh, like about five more months of that before the teams are determined. Right now, of course, Korea is leading those. Uh, Jing Young Ko, Sun Young Park, Se Young Kim, and Jung Jung Lee, six would be the team. United States is two. Japan, England, Australia, People's Republic of China, Thailand, and Sweden. Uh, of course, Madeline Sagstrom uh, won, uh, Anna Norquist, Carolyn Hedwall, and Pernilla Lindbergh won a year uh, at the ANA. So um, not too early maybe to start just thinking about that a little bit, and it is a Ryder Cup year um, coming up. So uh, we're going to have some team events we're going to be talking about. I was looking at the, uh, at the Ryder Cup points list a little bit. Uh, we're not ready to start talking about that yet, but we will be, I'm sure. So um, a lot going on this week, Carlos, uh, down there in Australia. And yes, uh, Minwoo Lee is the leader in driving distance right now, averaging 308.38 yards off the tee. 341.40 is uh, his light, his longest right now on the European Tour, and he's the one. He's also third on the <clears throat> strokes gains uh, off the tee. 
So that should tell you that he's really driving the ball really, really well. And he's been having spending his time with his sister, and uh, it's fun to see them together. And uh, Min Woo has has the talent, maybe not as uh, big as Min J Lee, but he, he if he can <clears throat> certainly improve his short game, I, I believe he can he can be a very good force to reckon to be reckoned with there on the European tour. Now, one more tournament that we're going to talk about is on the Corn Ferry Tour. That is the fourth event of the 2020 season that goes this week to the country club, the Bogota in Championship. It'll be the 11th playing of this Colombian event. It's played at the magnificent country club, the Bogota, which plays at a par 71, extends to a 7,237-yard layout. The purse is 700,000. The winner takes home 126000 This tournament has posed to past winners like recent President's Cup member Patrick Cantley and the UPGA Tour winner Sebastian Munoz. Last year, it was Mark Anderson who topped Drew Weaver for his second, for his second Corn Ferry Tour victory. Fred Anderson then re-earned his tour card via the Corn Ferry Tour Finals last year. But there's a whole new crop of golfers eager to get their name engraved on the country club, the Bogota Championship Trophy, and it, we're just getting started. This is just the fourth event of the Corn Ferry Tour season. Yeah, if I remember before they started going to the Bahamas, they used to uh, start the year with the uh, South American Swing. And, uh, you know, we just had the event in Panama last week. Uh, they're in Bogota this week. Um, they're going to go uh, into Mexico later in the year for a Corn Ferry Tour event. Of course, the PGA Tour will visit Mexico here in a couple of weeks. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm really surprised that there isn't at least a Corn Ferry Tour event in Argentina uh, because that is a really a big golf country. Uh, several great golf stars have come out of Argentina. Of course, Roberto Di Vincenzo, Angel Cabrera, Eduardo and Andres Romero, uh, and current-day stars of uh, Emiliano Grillo and uh, Julian Atalane. And so... The Latin American Tour provides a path for South American and young players to find a path to the uh, Corn Ferry Tour and then to the PGA Tour. So that's doing a great job. But I, I'm a little bit surprised that there isn't one or two more um, Corn Ferry Tour events or maybe um, maybe a world event or something uh, on the PGA Tour doesn't go down to South America someplace. I don't know. Um, and especially Argentina because it's such a great golf country, Carlos. Yeah, maybe because of the different of seasons. It's a, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's if there's a place for a golf tournament to be on South America, it should be Argentina, which really undoubtedly has produced the most uh, Latin America good players coming out of there. So anyway, with that, we wrap up our weekend, our four call. Your final words from point before we go to the Bar 5 News. Baby, it's cold and snowy outside right now at Boyne Resort, but they are offering a hot deal for summer golf on their 10 courses, all by top-name designers. They have a course to suit every player. During the month of January, they're offering a 15% off. Oh, we're not in January anymore. We're in February, Carlos. I messed this up. But you can still get a great deal on the Champions Golf Package for stays in, uh, in May and June. You can get the stay-and-play package or an unlimited golf package uh, all this summer. Um, if you call them up, they will, they will take care of you. they got great deals going on up there. Uh, you can stay in luxury at the Inn at Bay Harbor. 
Uh, you can play 18 holes at the Bay Harbor Golf Club, which is just phenomenal there. Uh, there's, like I say, there's 10 different golf courses. You've got three spas at the three different resorts, a multitude of, of outdoor activities, plenty of different uh, food options. Uh, Boyne Resort is one of the premier vacation resorts in the country. So call 855-813-2109. That's 855-813-2109. Or make your reservation by visiting boyne.com forward slash golf. That's boyne, B-O-Y-N-E dot com forward slash golf. Carlos, back to you. All right. Now let's talk our part five news where every week we pick five pieces of news worth talking about them. And we start with the LPGA, where the return of the LPGA Blue Bay, the tour schedule, will have to wait another year. The LPGA officials announced Thursday evening that they had canceled the event for 2020. That was due to concerns over the coronavirus. Uh, the Blue Bay LPGA debuted in 2014. They didn't play last year. That was because the tour's decision to move this event from the fall to the spring portion of the schedule. Fortunately, uh, this time they had to cancel it. This uh, was going to be the sixth playing. It was slated for March 5 to the 8th, but this outbreak of respiratory illness has forced the tour to act. The coronavirus originated in Wuhan in China. That is about 1,500 miles from where the Blue Bay LPGA was to be played in Hainan Island. But however, that disease has quickly spread throughout the world. And then the restrictions in and out of China has made it an increasingly difficult travel destination. Take for example that American Airlines and Delta Airlines have already canceled all flights to and from China. They did that on January 31st, citing the spread of the illness. Already more than 200 people in China have died from the coronavirus, and now with confirmed American cases, U.S. officials are on alert for the potential spread here and have advised Americans not to travel to China, and the World Health Organization has declared a global health emergency. Fred, this is an unfortunate turn of events for what has always been a great event played at a great venue, but I can understand. I mean, these health concerns have to be at the forefront. It's very difficult when you have a, a disease that is spreading so fast, and I understand it was just it was about 1,500 miles away, but you never know. It has already uh, – the World Health Organization has declared it a global health emergency, so all precautions have to be taken. Well, I mean, we're seeing, uh, if you look at the newspapers or read the information, look on the Internet, I mean, you're seeing this thing pop up in uh, in pretty much every town around the United States right now. So uh, if they don't get this thing nipped in the bud, it could be everywhere real quick. So it is unfortunate. It is just a golf tournament, however. Uh, you know, we saw the PGA Tour had to cancel the uh, the uh, golf tournament in China last year because of the unrest there. Um, so that was unfortunate. Now we have this cancellation due to the uh, coronavirus, um, on, uh, and this was going to be on Hainan Island. Anytime you cancel an event, it's, it's a tough decision. And, you know, you've got uh, the sponsor loses out, uh, the IMG who runs the tournament, the China LPGA, the China Golf Association. They all work hard to get this thing going. You know, these things take a long time to set up. You need to start a year, year and a half in advance to get a tournament going. So 
Um, but it's you know it's the right thing to do. I, I don't uh, I, I understand it. I wouldn't want to be going over there uh, to cover it. I sure wouldn't want to be going over there to play if I was a player. So uh, yeah, uh, that's just the way it is uh, in the world today, and it's just one of those things that happens. So uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll get it back next year, Carla. All right, the PGA Tour. It's underlining tours and most of the greatest players in the world combined to be a nonprofit organization that helps raise a lot of money for various charities and it has reached an impressive new tally three billion dollars let me repeat it three billion dollars the tour announced its 2019 charitable offering to be a total of 204 millions from all five of its tours which is the champions Latin America, the Mackenzie, the Corn Ferry being the others. Now, that brings a total of all-time funds raised to $3.05 billion. That is an extraordinary total. They began with a $10,000 donation way back in 1938. The tour is increasing its charitable offerings at an exponential rate as of late, taking less than six years to raise the most recent billion dollars. Tour reached $2 billion in 2014, nine years after reaching the initial $1 billion mark. At that rate, do the math, it will likely take the $4 billion by the end of 2025. Most aspects of a given tournament contribute to the raising of these funds as net proceeds at nonprofit events, uh, most events on the tour's various schedules support the local charities. Fred, one noteworthy, one noteworthy example would be the FedEx St. Jude Invitational, which is now the WGC. It has raised $43 million on its own over the last 50 years to eight children's hospitals in the fight against cancer. And we don't get tired of any time to say how big the tour is on the charity uh, aspect of the game. I mean, it's unlike any other. You can put all of them together. They will not match what the PGA Tour does. Yeah, and it, it's fantastic. It, it really is. I mean, you, you've got tournaments just like the Memorial in Columbus, uh, you know, raises about $7 million a year. Uh, then you got tournaments like the players, and even like the waste management here last week, they raised like double digits, like uh, like fourteen million dollars a year, each one of them for charity alone, uh, which is just phenomenal to me that they can do that. But Carlos, I want to take even a step farther, and you know this is great for the PGA Tour. This is a wonderful thing uh, that they do this, um, and uh, and I don't want to take anything away from that, but. I want. We, we talked about this before. Uh, we talk about it you know, like once or twice a year. But, but um, there's 12 million golfers that participate in a charity golf about charity golf outing every year, and golf totally. All of golf the outings that everybody goes to the PGA Tour events, you know, and and they so they raised like the PGA Tour raised 204 million dollars last year. $4 billion were raised last year through for charitable events through golf events, whether it be your little charity event that you played in that raised $3,000 for some cause or whether it was the, the Players' Championship that raised $14 million. 
Um, so it, it, charity in golf is, is a big, big deal, um, and uh, we don't want to belittle that fact. That is one of the one of the great things about golf that when you uh, if you put plunk your money down and you go to a, a PGA event or an LPGA event, you're helping someone outside. Um, the, the Marathon Classic in Toledo, an LPGA event, annually raises over a half million dollars uh, for charity in about 20 to 21 uh, children's charities around the northern Ohio, southeast Michigan area. Um, it's, it's just amazing. I think since its beginning in 1986, it's raised over $10 million alone, and it's just a little tournament. It's not, it's not a big deal like the players of the Waste Management Phoenix Open. So um, golf as a whole does a tremendous job raising money, generating monies for charities. And uh, the PGA Tour, of course, is one piece of that. They do a tremendous job, $204 million last year, $3 billion in total. Um, and you're right, Carlos, probably they'll be hitting the $4 billion mark in about four or five years. So um, good for them. Congratulations. But everybody that plays in a golf outing or participates in some kind of a golf benefit um, is to be congratulated because they help raise $4 billion a year, Carlos. <laughs> hey, world number one golfer, Brooks Kepka, has been confirmed for the sixth edition of the J.P. McManus program at Adair Manor in uh, County Limerick on July 6th to the 7th, bringing to eight of the top wor top 10 world players who are now set to play the charity event. Kepke is just the latest of an impressive list of world-class players who will play the J.P. McManus' own event uh, this summer, among them Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Justin Rose, John Ram, Shane Lowry, Sergio Garcia, uh, former Ryder Cup captain Paul McGinley, as well as former former major winners Graham McDowell and Patrick Harrington. The prime host J.P. McManus said he's delighted to have Kepka there at the Adari Manor in July, and of course he should be. The program will take place July 6th to the 7th in 2020 at the Tom Fazio Redesigned Golf Course at Adair Manor with charitable organizations in the Midwest set to benefit the Pro-Am. Fred, I am extremely curious at how in the world J.P. McManus has lured all those big names to a Pro-Am. I mean, pros don't like to be playing with the amateurs and less likely eight of the top ten players in the world are going to be there. Wow, that's, that's an amazing uh, recruiting power he has, right? Uh, I, I got one word for you, Carlos. Dollar bill. I guess it's technically two words, but, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the money talks and the pros will come. Uh, you know, he's got to be paying him a bunch. Nobody will say it's a private event, uh, but you know he's got to be shelling out the, the dollars. You know, it's so difficult for some of the biggest tournaments. You know, even like the Memorial in Columbus. Or look what's happened to the to the Arnold Palmer event. Uh, in uh, you know, all the a lot of the big names are backing away from that since Arnold's not there. That was the reason they went there. They don't like the course, but they always went for Arnold. Now that Arnold's not around, they're not going. So uh, it's really hard to draw these big names even into a, a big event uh, with all the things that they get hit from, the places to play, and all the stuff to do. Well, this J.P. McManus Pro-Am 
is probably the biggest star-studded golf event that nobody's ever really heard about, um, and and the big guys show up there. Uh, who is J.P. McManus? Well, he's a businessman from Ireland, and he also loves his resource. He's got, Carlos, you should know this guy. He's got 550 racehorses in training. I know you're a racehorse guy. Uh, so he's big in the racing world. He made his $2 billion fortune in currency trading, started out in the gambling business, and, uh, and learned that he could, uh, instead of taking bets, he could be making bets in the, uh, in the currency trading business. Uh, he owns a Barbados resort. Uh, he's the largest pub owner in Britain. Um, and as a billionaire, he is very well-liked. Nobody says a bad word about the guy. Everybody loves him, which is unusual in itself. Uh, this event will take place, as you mentioned, at Adair Manor in the Limerick. Uh, features a field of eight of the top eight of the top ten players in the world are there uh, since uh, Brooks signed up. Tiger's going to be there. Rory's going to be there. Um, just unbelievable names that show up. Um, so this is a this is a pro am. Can you imagine what the swag bag looks like? I mean, they're probably giving away Porsches or something, you know. Uh, for this thing, uh, if you if you sign up to play, I can't imagine what it costs to play in this thing. But um, uh, they they raise a ton of money. You talk about charity. Um, since 1990, this event alone has raised 150 or 140 euro um, in donations, uh, charitable donations. So, in addition to being a, a big money event, drawing a lot of people. Um, letting a lot of rich guys play with the top players in the world, they raise a lot of money for charities. So um, I don't know. And there's even a qualification uh, to get into this thing, uh, you know, for the amateurs. They got to they got to show that they're they're worthy of playing in this thing. So um, it's a, it's a big deal. Um, it, you know, it it they uh, they have they turn a lot of money. And I'll bet uh, I would love to be there just for the after uh, after round uh, events. I'll bet it's quite something, Carlos. <laughs> well, he he definitely is a keen golfer. He's also a good friend of Tiger Woods, which I think makes it easier for him to approach him. And uh, if you might remember, Tiger, when he married, he married at the Sandy Lane Hotel in Barbados, which is uh, McManus owns that one. And the the wedding at Sandy Lane was a gift from the owners to Tiger. So of course he's gonna get there, but he's also compete complete competes in many proams uh, golf events. He has won actually twice the Alfred Dunkel Links Championship prom uh, pairs competition with Patty Harrington. So there you see why Patty Harrington it would be here. It's easy for him to get him there. But anyway, definitely I have to agree. McManus has the money, has the connections, and uh, of course he definitely is. Very interesting also. I, I I see how he's able to get all those people there. Fred, I got a, I got a question. Is, I got a question for you. Yeah. I got a question for you. What does right. it cost? I mean, you know all this uh, you know, this horse racing stuff. What does it cost to feed and take care and train one racehorse a year? He's got 550. What does it cost to, to just do one? Well, it, it, it really depends, right, because uh, it depends on the quality of the horse. But let's say a basic horse, like uh, a normal average horse, you would be paying between 600 and $700 uh, a month uh, for the caring of the horse just to the trainer. That without counting how much 
um, medicines and uh, if he has to go to the doctor vet and uh, if you have to take a trip somewhere because if he's playing if he's running in just one horse uh, horse track that's okay but this big time horses are traveling from track to track so you have to then charter a plane take him to from state to state or even stay uh, across the pond if they go like right now they're horses from the states that are going to go to to dubai to to run in the dubai world cup and also our uh, saudi arabia now has a new a new race a big one 20 million dollars they're they're see they're looking like golf now offering 20 million and 15 million dollars for a race uh so yeah i would say if you say 7200 basically let's say he has uh that way annually would be over almost over four million dollars just at least spend on those horses for him <laughs> that's a that's a that's a pretty good uh pretty good chunk right there but if you got a couple bill i guess you can afford a four or five million here or there right yeah definitely most definitely <laughs> most definitely <laughs> Talking about money, Fred, uh, tell us about the latest news on the Premier Golf League. What have you heard? What's going on? What's coming up right now? Well, uh, varying reports. Um, over in uh, Saudi Arabia last week, uh, Phil was paired in the Pro-Am with uh, some of the guys that were the Premier Golf League organizers, and I guess they were working them pretty hard uh, during that, and uh, he was listening to all that. No uh, no comments or commitments one way or the other. Of course, the pros all have to be very careful. They've got a standard line. Uh, I really don't know anything about that at this point. I'll have to just study up on it because uh, Jay Monahan has come out and uh, very vehemently said, hey, you're either on the PGA Tour or you, you're dead to us, basically. We don't want to hear from you. You're out. So there's no uh, one foot in, one foot out here. You're either all in or all out. And um, so Gary Player came out last week, said he's 100% against it. Um, and, uh, you know, as I said, uh, PGL, they were talking with Phil, trying to get a commitment out of him. Um, and um, I don't know, one of the other things that kind of surprised me is that uh, Global Golf Post publisher Jim Nugent had an article this week in the Global Golf Post that says that uh, this thing is dead on arrival. And we talked a little bit about it last week, uh, and I think he's probably right. Because with the uh, PGA Tour raising the purse for the um, Players' Championship to $15 million, the majors will have to follow along with that. And then with them offering $15 million to the winner of the Tour Championship, or I mean the FedEx Cup, which the Tour Championship winds up at the end of the year, I mean that's too much money to walk away from. These guys are making... You know, the, the tour is giving out, what, $360 million this year in prize money. And on top of that, they're going to give away another $70 million in bonuses from the FedEx Cup. So um, I, I can't see the pros walking away from that. You've got too many. Just like I talked about Brett Quigley a little bit earlier, the guy never won. He hardly ever made any cuts in majors. Nobody really knew about him. I mean, you and I did because we follow golf closely. Uh, nobody really knew that much about him. He made $11 million in a in a 12 or 14 year golf career um you know he had one or two good years where he won a million or, or almost two million one year but uh um the, there's a lot of money on the pga tour and not just in prize money if you make it to the pga tour you get a lot of money in sponsorship money you make two three four five million in sponsor money in addition to whatever money you might make in in uh, 
in in uh, winnings in, in, on on tour and purse money. So the, the the money is in the PGA Tour. I'm really, as I said before, if this thing's going to succeed and they want to do something, I really think they need to team up with the European Tour. That's all the European Tour needs is an influx of cash. They need some money to come in there from somewhere. If these guys are sitting on a bunch of cash, rather than trying to start a new league, I think they're better off uh, putting it into the European Tour. But, uh, um, you know, Keith Pelly says he's not really interested in anything to do with the Premier Golf League either. So, don't know, but they were trying. They were working Phil pretty hard over in Saudi Arabia, from what I hear. Yeah, Phil played there the uh, the prime prior to the Saudi International. He played with Majid Al Sarur, who is the CEO of the Saudi, Saudi Golf Federation, uh, and that is believed that the PGA PGL is partly funded by the Saudi money. That's according to an email sent by uh, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan to the PGA Tour players. I mean, right now, Monahan, both Monahan and Pelly have sent out emails to their members this past week stating that the players will not be allowed to be members of both their respective tours and the Premier Golf League. So that that was like the ultimate statement. Uh, and about what could happen, like you're saying, if Ken, if Keith Pelly, who really would have been maybe benefit the most if he would like to see a joint venture with them, I think that maybe, and I'm just going to throw this out here, maybe the best way to kill all these rumors would be for both the PGA Tour and the European Tour to go either on a, on a joint venture and maybe the PGA Tour just getting a hold of the European Tour and uh, forming their own world tour. If you come to think about it, you just leave the four majors out of there. And uh, let me just give you a, a mock-up of how an 18-event world tour schedule would, could, would look like. And not in, in order, but let's say this. You have the Players' Championship. You put it there uh, on the U.S., the CJ Cup in Korea. There's also a championship in Japan. You, then you have the Genesis Invitational, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, the Memorial Tournament, the Farmers Insurance Open, the Northern Trust, the BMW Championship, the Tour Championship. Then you go to the European Tour where the BMW PGA Championship, the Irish Open, the Scottish Open, the Italian Open, Turkish Airlines Open, the NetBank Golf Challenge, and the DP World Tour Championship. Those are 18 big tournaments. You leave the other tournaments to the PGA Tour and the European Tour and maybe make them feeders into this big world tour. Yeah, and maybe that's like the way it. that you would get that that way, like and then it. of course you keep the corn ferry and the and the challenge still feeding those. You still keep the European the the, the Ryder Cup alive because then you can make world points like it's made right now for the selection on the European Tour. It's world points from this premier world tour. The top uh, American players and the top European players will still make it that way. It's uh, anyway right now if you see how they would have to make it to the PGL, uh, they have to anyway, essentially, they will be paid essentially what it would be like an appearance fee to be signed to the World Tour, just as they likely have to do in the professional World League. So it wouldn't be that much different. And then you can give everybody that long-awaited big World Tour that everybody is uh, talking about with this PGL. I 
that's just I out love there. It. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. Carlos, Maybe that's fantastic. What a, I love that. You put some thought into that, didn't you? That's that's outstanding stuff there. I I got I'm gonna I'm gonna read this. I'm gonna listen to this back in the next day or two. Write that stuff down. That's good stuff, Carlos. I like that a lot. Good job on that one. Oh. That I, that uh, right. you know, that has some real that has some real merit. I, that is fantastic. Yeah, let's put in like the top ten uh, tournaments from the from the U.S. And and if you see, you're keeping like the the the, the essence of what the PGA Tour is. You keep that uh, API, the the memorial, the farmers insurance. Then you pick the the FedEx Cup there. You put them there. Uh, the international yeah. ones like the CJ Cup, the Sozo, Genesis, the Players Championship, and then you put all the eight from the Rolex rankings, and there right. you have it. Those are the big tournaments yeah. anyway. So it's, it would be easier for them to merge that and, and and get that tournament, that tour going. So anyway, love it. That's an idea there, Keith, Jay, Fred, and I would be taking some uh, royalty we, out of that. So, we are on the cutting uh, edge. Know. We're on the cutting edge on Backline Report. You got to listen here, folks. If you want to, we got the goods right here. There you go. Okay, one more piece of news to talk about, and that is the Decimetra Tour. Uh, the LPGA isn't the only tour with a significant turnaround story. The Symmetra Tour, celebrating its 40th season, boasts similar gains. The developmental tour announcing its 2020 schedule on Thursday, which features 2020, I mean 25th, I still have the 2020, man. 20 <laughs> tournaments and $3.6 million in total purses. The average purse is $180,000, which is a record. It's up nearly 50% from five years ago. There are two new events on the schedule, Circling Raven Championship in Worley, Idaho, and the Copper Rock Championship in Hurricane Utah. Wow, that's a name I would have never expected to be of a city in Utah, Hurricane Utah. <laughs> anyway, a purse for both events is going to be $200,000. The global nature of the sport will be on full display here. The tour membership includes more than 300 players from 40 different countries. The top 10 players on money list at the end of the season will earn the LPGA membership. Fred, the first event for this year will be held March 6th to the 8th at the Florida, Florida, Florida National uh, Charity Classic at the Country Club of Winter Haven. Carlos, I tell you what, you pretty much covered all the key points there. I don't have anything to add. You uh, you touched them. You touched all the bases right there. All right. So with that, we wrap up our Par Five news and move on now to our VIG. Very important guest of the week. You want to hear this one? Former press secretary to the president George W. Bush, Ari Fleischer, now acts as a political media consultant, and he's also a golfaholic. He enjoys working with the PGA's junior golf program at his club in Washington, D.C., and wondered why there aren't more events that bring top junior golf talent in the country together. He decided to do something about it and started a new event, the We Are the 50 Golf Tournament, to be held in June at the Hammock Beach Resort near Daytona Beach, which will invite only state champions in boys and girls junior golf from each of the 50 states. Fred, talk to him, and Fred, tell us what we we can expect on this uh, interview. Yeah, I had the chance to uh, chat with him a little bit at the PGA show uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, 
He's got this great idea. He loves working with junior golfers. And I mentioned, I, we said there at Washington, D.C., it's actually Philadelphia. I'm sorry, I, uh, I wrote that down wrong. Pardon, that's my fault there, Carlos. Um, but um, he, uh, he has this idea to bring the champion golfers from each state together so that they can interact together, play a competition together, get to know each other. And, uh, and he came up with this idea to do this, and so he's, he's running with it. So uh, go ahead and run a tape, and then we'll talk just a minute about it afterwards, Carlos. We're really happy to welcome in tonight uh, Ari Fleischer, who is uh, starting a new golf tournament for juniors called We Are the 50, which will happen this summer for the first time. Ari, welcome to Back Nine Report. Thank you, Fred. It's great to be here. You were telling me about this idea in uh, at the PGA show. It's called We Are the 50. Could you just give us a brief explanation of what this is? We Are the 50 is a new national golf championship designed for the 50 state association junior boy and girl champions in two different age groups that's the 18 and under age group and the 15 and under age group we're especially excited about that 15 and under age group because no national championship for the 50 states exists for either age group but especially that 15 and under group what happens is you have a junior who wins their state junior golf championship, uh, either 18 or under or 15 and under. There's two brackets. You've got boys and girls as well. And so then they can qualify to come to national championship in Florida. Correct. And let me just make sure we make that distinction. These are association, the summer events around the country, not the high school championships. And their eligibility in 2019 is based on their win at that event. So in 2020, we'll be bringing these 2019 winners together. And already we have 14 states and almost 20 players on the board, which we're very excited about being able to host these players uh, from around the country. We have players from Alaska and Oregon and Nevada coming, as well as Georgia and South Carolina together at Hammock Beach Resort in Palm Coast, Florida. Yeah, it's a wonderful location. I've been there a couple times. How did this idea come to fruition? How did you get this idea, Eric? Well, that's a really interesting question. I've thought about junior golf for a long time. I'm very passionate about it. I currently run the junior league team at my club here in Philadelphia for my children. I have an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old who both play on the team. It's wonderful that my wife also plays, so we're a whole golf family, which is a real treat for me as a lifelong passionate and dedicated golfer. I've started a program for introducing kids to golf at my local YMCA, and I've even coached a little college golf in Division Three at Rosemont College here in Philadelphia. So I've always been interested and in, in dedicated to participating and growing the game at a very grassroots level, and I, I saw this opportunity where the 50 states champions, they dangle out there and an opportunity for them to go to another level and meet and compete seemed like a natural fit for our sport because it really does promote social interaction and relationships. Yeah, that's one of your key concepts of this, isn't it? You want these kids to be able to mingle together and get to know each other as top-level players from different states. Uh, they don't often get the chance to do that. That's core to the idea it's integral to the success as well 
because we really want to bring these kids from all corners of the country and all levels of ability from the Dakotas and Missouri and Maine and Florida and Arizona, kids who would have otherwise never had an opportunity to meet in person. Obviously, they can meet online, and we are leveraging social media to help create our community. And then in June, we'll put everyone together in person, and it'll be an existing real live community. I think you said earlier that there's about 20 kids already signed up. We're still a few months out, so a lot of time yet, and you're reaching out uh, to the individual states and their association winners. It's like you're going to have a pretty strong field for this very first one. Yes, we do already have a good number of champions signed up to play from some great states, including Georgia and South Carolina. We just added a high-level player from Northeast Florida to go along with players in Kentucky and Oregon, Missouri, Nevada. We have a player from Michigan in the field, and soon I am confident we will have several players from Ohio. So we're talking to Eric Flasher, who is beginning the We Are the 50 uh, new golf event for state champion junior golfers. It will be held at Hammock Beach in uh, just north of Daytona, Florida in June. Ari, where can we find you? What, what's the website address? We are the 50 can be found on Instagram, and our web address is www.wearethe50, the number spelled out, F-I-F-T-Y.com. So if you have a young golfer in your home that was a state champion or plays in the state championship, go to wearethe50.com, check it out. might be something to aspire to in 2020 to qualify for 2021 if you don't already qualify. Get a hold of Ari, get a hold of his team, and uh, this looks like a great event area where we're really, uh, I think this is this could be a really big thing. I know I was talking to one of the uh, state association people yesterday. They were, they were pretty excited about it, actually. Anything to promote junior golf and bring these top-level junior golfers together, uh, he was all about. And uh, so I, I think you've got a great event here, and congratulations on putting this together. Thank you, Fred. I appreciate that excitement, and, and I also appreciate your time today. We are the 50. Get a hold of Ari. It's a great new junior tournament. Thanks a lot, Ari. You have it, Fred. What else you want to add to that interview? Uh, just uh, the fact that uh, um, this is brand new. Uh, he's trying to get these elite kids uh, from the state level. There's two, as he mentioned, there's an 18-under, and then there's a 15-under. There's two age group brackets as boys and girls, so it could be as many as four kids per state. Um, you know, right now the, the kids are and their families are going to be on their own uh, getting to the event in Florida, so if you're coming from out west, it could be a little bit expensive. Um, I think uh, he was telling me the, uh, the uh, three or four kids from Ohio are pretty much already committed. They're going to be coming. He's got some kids from Michigan coming. Um, but um, um, they're working on some things for future events where they will maybe have like the AG, AJG has like an ACE grant where they can help uh, offset some of those uh, funding concerns for the parents if, if they are there. Uh, so there's bigger and better things coming for this down the road. This is the first one. There'll be, uh, you know, there'll be some startup things and things to, to clean up for another year, but uh, it's a great concept. I like the idea. As I mentioned in the in the interview, I did talk to uh, to the uh, Ohio State director uh, just actually yesterday, 
and he was uh, he was uh, big on it. He was he was all for it. He liked it a lot, and um, they may even work at helping to fund uh, their representatives go down there and offset some of the costs in the future. Uh, so um, so yeah, it's uh, it's kind of cool, and I look forward to seeing more about it. See how it turns out. All right. With that, we wrap up our very important guest of the week, our VIG, Ari Fleischer. And now we move on to the practice range. Every week, Fred and I pick a topic, and each one of us take a own shot at it. This week, of course, the recently released hidden distances that long-awaited, the RNA and USGA's long-awaited distance insights report. It was released with a ketone surprisingly suggesting that increased heating distances is bad for the game and its future. We were crushed to learn that they had um, gotten to that conclusion. We never expected it. So this report finds a one-year, 100-year uh, trend of increased hitting distances as well as an increase in the length of golf courses across the world. These, according to the golf's governing bodies, can lead to a risk of many courses becoming less challenging or obsolete. Yerene and the USGA say that increased hitting distances could undermine the core principle of golf to have a wide range of skills. The report also raises concerns over water and chemical use, as well as other resources if courses keep getting lengthened. The report says that longer distances and courses are taking golf in the wrong direction and not necessary for a challenging, enjoyable, and sustainable game. A concern has been identified that many recreational golfers are playing from longer tees than is necessary relative to their hitting distances, and in particular, that the forward tees on many golf courses are very long for many of the golf players who play from them. Further research will be to publish within the next 45 days after input from manufacturers and other stakeholders in the golfing world. But the governing bodies will now undertake a broad review of both golf clubs and balls with potential changes in the equipment rules as they search for solutions to increasing hitting distances in the game. There will also be a further inquiry into the effects of course design conditions and set up on the hitting distance. Fred, I'm going to leave it there for now. I want to hear your first take uh, on on this report, and then I'll try to see if we can go over the five key points I think that we can take away from this report. Well, <laughs> what I take away, I mean, you talk about on the cutting edge. This just came out this afternoon. This hit my email box, what, about, uh, I don't know, one o'clock or something today, maybe a little bit after that. I don't know. And uh, we kind of had the show laid out. We kind of had to uh, uh, drop back 12 here and punt. And you've had to spend a little bit of time reading through it. And I know you've been busy today, and I spent some time reading through it. But just really quickly, and uh, so I don't have, uh, you know, a clear-cut idea. And the only thing I draw from this thing as a, a cursory reading through this thing is that the uh, the – Golf, the, the ball issue, the longer carries of the golf ball, the clubs, the equipment, the golf courses, better. Av- it's a complicated issue, which we already know. 
we, we've talked about this before. Um, how they attack this thing, I, I really don't know. I know when they get down to it, they're going to try to attack it with the golf ball, I think, because that's what Jack Nicklaus wants. Um, that's probably not the only reason, but and they may also attack it with changes in clubs. The the one statement that I get out of here, uh, Carlos, is that uh, it says something in here someplace that this is serving notice um, to the equipment manufacturers that all changes will be looked at, all options will be looked at in the future. So they uh, they make a statement here that says that, um, you know, just beware. We're probably going to change some stuff. We're going to change some rules because we can. And um, we understand that, you know, some people, the average golfer, still even with all the new equipment and the golf balls, they don't hit it as far, and they need to play forward tees. And golf courses should put even closer, even more shorter tees. And instead of worrying about where the back tee is, they ought to be putting a, a more forward tee up there. Um, and, and that's very true. I, I, I told that to some course owners this year, some of the courses I played. I said, you know, on a couple of these holes, you need to go up there and play, put another tee up front because your forward tee is still about 50 yards too far back. Um, but um, they, they, I'll let you cover the points. But to me, this, I mean, I forget, I don't know how many pages this thing is. It's a long, it's a lot, a lot of words. Uh, and they don't really pages. say a Eight pages, and they really don't say a tremendous amount in their eight pages other than what we already know, uh, except for that one key statement that I read that caught my eye that, um, you know, this is a notice to equipment dealers that uh, we're probably going to, all options are on the table. There is a 56-page report, so it it, it is really long. Um so we don't have, like like you said, we don't have the full ability in this short time to, to get everything uh, and, and bring to you. But in, in essence, we already knew what they were going to say. What they're going to do is what we don't know. And that's what we're going to have to wait maybe 45 more days because now they're going to take the input from the manufacturers and the other stakeholders in the golfing world to then do their recommendations and put the rules like you're saying because because they can't that's what they want to do uh, the L the interesting thing is that I saw the LPGA already uh, made a statement the players are like split so far for what I have read they're split on on yes no yes no they're of course the big hitters are like no this is not it I mean we're not doing anything wrong it's just us the others of course are gonna say yeah Shorten <laughs> the ball. We want uh, more equality on it. But the LPGA responded already. They did a release saying that they did not see distance as a hindrance towards the growth of the LPGA tour or to the courses on where they compete. But that statement that went on to say that the data shows that there are some aspects of increased increased distance which are making the game more expensive and more difficult for the recreational players. Then, then they say we see an opportunity in exploring ways to remove some of the long-time barriers of the game, such as cost, limited team, ground options, length of courses, time of play, etc., etc., etc. 
So the LPGA, of course, had, I don't see it in their game as being that big of a deal, like they're saying, on the pro level. But, of course, it's being done more for the amateurs. And uh, some of the points that I, I would like to, to to talk and just because of, of the sake of time we don't have, we would be here doing a whole show about it. But uh, one of the things is that golfers, golf courses have gotten longer, you already mentioned, and they're going to continue to get it, get longer. So in that, uh, this squares that players have to hit the ball farther, the playing fields have grown accordingly. So that takes, of course, uh, golf courses need to start thinking about buying more land, making more investment, and that's what goes in pair with, okay, the golf, uh, everything is going to be a little more expensive because there's more investments that I'm making. The the, the future or potential uh, casual players that will get there, they're not going to go for that big big course because I'm not going to play in that long course, especially you're making it even longer for me the time that I have to stay there. So if that is the case, how you see that about the golf courses having to get longer, having to invest more, of course, it's more maintenance and all those things that they're saying there on that. You're, when you do that, Carlos, you're only catering to a very small percentage of the golfers today. Uh, you're, you're catering to some golfers who think that they have to play from the back tees. They think they're that good. And then they shoot a hundred something. But truly, only the, the, the players that play from the tips, you know, play a 7,400-yard golf course, I mean, we're not talking 5% of the golfers that should do that. Um, most golfers should play probably around 63 to 6,500 yards max. Um, and, uh, and I'm talking now about even like four and five handicappers. Um, they, they don't need to be back there as back tees. Those are for the really elite amateurs and the professionals. That's, that's all that need to go back there. So um, the only courses that should be putting those kind of tees in are courses that are going to host a professional event or a top-flight amateur event, like a USGA event or a USGA qualifier or something like that. That's, that's the only ones that need those 7,400-yard tees. Uh, everybody else should be. I mean, even a even a top player um, can be playing a 68 or 6900 yard golf course with no problem. Um, what is it? Uh, Tom Doak's new course at, uh, in Wisconsin at Sand Valley is going to be uh, what um, 6400 yards or something like that uh, max. Um, so I mean, you can you can vary it with uh, you can vary with the pars. You don't have to have four par fours. Um, you know, make a couple more par threes in there. You don't have to just have four par threes. Have six par threes. Um, so um, there's a lot of different things you can do, Carlos. You don't have to have 7,400-yard golf course. It just ha- doesn't have to be that way. Okay. How about they were saying also they really don't want to roll the equipment back to a certain era. Uh, some members of the general pro- public have lobbied for rolling back the equipment specs, like the drivers, the golf balls, others, a specific point in time, maybe like the specs of uh, the 80s to 90s, but it really doesn't sound like the USGA has much interest in that, which is a good thing, uh, because Mike Davies said that they're not looking backwards to some bygone era, that they really want to work with the industry and do what's right for the game, short-term and long-term. And also they said, uh, 
with that, you can see that they don't want bifurcation. So after reading that report, uh, Davis uh, was the USGA stance on bifurcation, that that idea that the lead players and pros could play with a different set of rules governing their equipment, but still the USGA and RNA did announce that they're assessing the installation of new local rules that will allow specific courses or tournaments to use equipment that would result in short hitting distances. A short course, for example, could use a limited flight golf ball in a tournament and still follow the rules. And of course, you're going to take their time figuring out these next steps. Uh, so I know you're rolling your eyes, but the USGA likes to play with these things a little bit on the slow side. And uh, in other words, get comfortable. We're not going anywhere for a while, like Tom Brady said on the Hulu ad on the on, on the Super Bowl. So, uh, what what's your take on that? On rolling back to a certain era, are they going to do that? What are what do you think they will be doing? Will we really have bifurcation? What will happen? I hate that word. I, I actually I absolutely hate it. That's always been one of the great things in golf. Um, an average golfer can go to a golf course that hosts a, a PGA Tour event. You have the same balls. You have the same equipment, uh, kind of the same equipment, um, and you play basically the same golf course, maybe from a shorter tee, but you're hitting the same green. You're playing out of the same bunker. Um, bifurcation, you know, the pros may have a ball that doesn't fly as far. <clears throat> they may be limited on uh, MOI on their club face or, or whatever. Um, I, I hate that idea. Um, I just don't. I, I think they're. I, I think they're probably going to roll the ball back because um, that's what they've been hitting at doing. Um, but um, I, I, I hate it. I don't. I wish they wouldn't do it. But uh, I think that's what all of this is leading to. Um, I, I think. I think they're going to try and stay away from equipment because I think they would open up a real can of worms. I think the equipment companies would sue the hell out of them. I don't know. I don't know how that would work, but uh, uh, it would be a real hassle, a real problem. You're going to have testing at every amateur tournament. Then you're going to have testing of, of uh, you know, what equipment you can use and can't use. Um, I, it, it just would be a nightmare. It seems to me. I don't know. So um, I'll be curious to see when they come out. And you'd say 45 days. Well, that's just, you know, they're going to they're going to listen to all the crap. They said it's going to take another nine months then to come up with, uh, you know, maybe the, the rule changes and some of the other stuff they're going to do. So uh, this is going to be a long-haul thing, Carlos. This isn't going to happen overnight. All right. The last one, because I see that we have uh, taken a long time here. But anyway, long, the last yeah, one that yeah. I just want to talk. <laughs> uh, is that combination longer drives, bigger calls, golf courses, is instrumental to golf features. And that's where the report's language gets pretty serious because now the, Mike Davis himself says that this continuing cycle of hitting increases and in golf courses getting longer is detrimental to golf feature. So it takes that according to the golf uh, governing bodies, you know, that really undermines the skill versus let's be a bummer here. Let's uh, hit it longer. And that that's the point that I really have always made that I think it's being taken that I take more seriously is that it's only about hitting the ball longer. That's what you're encouraging by doing this. You're really, you have to be a big athlete, big guy. You're going to have more advantage now because 
your equipment is allowing you for doing that when golf is really a skills sport skills oriented sport if you take that away by just let me try to hit it longer and that's the way that it is then skill is really not a big part of it so to me that is the biggest uh, thing that i would look at because i think we're losing on the real beautiful thing about golf which is let let it be challenging to me if i have to become a big hitter for that and look what happens to a lot of the big players that we have seen like what happened to Lydia Ko she was one of the best players in the world until she said I have to hit the ball farther she went to this guy I'm not going to mention his name changed his swing, her swing because she wanted to hit the ball longer same thing happened to Jordan Spieth and I could keep going and going and going same thing I have to hit the ball farther because everybody else is doing it that's not the way they had the perfect game they had a great all-around skill game and had to change it. And that's where I think they have to try to make something happen because otherwise it's just about getting longer and longer. And we are going to start seeing a lot less people getting interested in golf. Well, you, you, you know, these young guys come along, um, you know, Justin Thomas and Cameron Champ that, that just hit it off the end of the world. Even you can see Justin Thomas is kind of throttled back now. He doesn't swing for the fences on every every drive anymore. He's playing for position. He's playing for score. So it's still there, Carlos, but these young guys, they get in their head. they got to hit it long. On the other side of that coin, you see like the Brian Gaze of the world or the Jim Furyk's of the world or the, um, you know, the Zach Johnson's of the world that maybe can't compete anymore. Maybe they have to pick their course that they play like Harbortown that's tight and short uh, to compete with these longer hitters uh, because you get on a wide open golf courses like at the TPC there at Scottsdale where it's wide open, they can just bomb away. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, the, the short hitter get, has gotten passed by, and, and you can see it, and you look at the leaderboards every week. The, those guys that don't hit it quite far, they're down there from 25 on down. Uh, they're not up there mixed in with the leaders. So, um, that's what they're concerned about. That's what they're worried about. That's what this is all about. Uh, but I read through this today. It's a lot of mumbo jumbo, and I don't know if they really said anything really important in here. All right. That closes the practice range, and now we move on to the final putts. Fred, go ahead with your two before I finish mine. I'm going to do three real quick, Carlos. Uh, Pebble Beach is uh, raising their green fees. I know this is a concern for everybody. Um, they're going from $525 around uh, just a year or so ago, they, and uh, they're going clear to uh, $575 for an 18-hole round. If my math is correct, that's $32 a hole. Plus, if you throw in the caddy on there, another $150, bucks, it makes for a very expensive round of golf. If you're going to stay there, stay nearby, eat a couple of meals, you're going to drop another grand. Uh, are you going to play $2,000 just to play one golf course? Uh, I'm not going to, but uh, somebody might. Um, drive, chip, and putt registration is now open. You can go to uh, USGA.org to find that or go to drivechipandputt.com. Uh, I think they put the A-N-D in there to find that out. And also, I just want to mention real quick, a great uh, golf writer and friend, Bill Fields, has been honored by the PGA of America with the PGA Lifetime Achievement Award in Journalism. Uh, Bill's written a couple books. Uh, he's been a longtime writer for uh, for Golf Dot, uh, Golf Dot Com, and uh, he's uh, really a nice guy on top of it. So congratulations, Bill Fields. 
All right. And now I'm going to close with something that I know, and I have to say it here because I got a text, an email saying, hey, we haven't heard you talk about who's going to be the rookies of the year. I actually mm. did on the guys. Mm. I said it last year. I said it all along. It's Victor Hovland for me. But on the girls, I have not said it because I said, let me wait until it starts so I can tell you. And I'm going to say who is going to be the ladies' rookie of the year. I lost oh. for the first time on the guys last year, but I'm picking it up with Victor Hovland this year again. I know he is not off to a good start, but it's just a matter of when he's going to pick it up. Now, with the girls on the LPGA, this has been, and I have to admit it, the toughest year for me to select who is going to be the rookie of the year. I started with a list of eight, really trying to see which one would it be. I was here with uh, Haley Moore. You know, she... She played really, really well. She's gonna, if she would have a better control of her emotions, I think she would be there. Uh, I mean, she won the deciding match of the 2018 NCAA Women's Golf Championship, giving the University of Arizona the title. But I think she still lacks that. Uh, Andrea Lee, the most decorated golfer in Stanford University history, uh, she announced in November she would go uh, pro this year. But still, I, I think she, she can take advantage of those starts and hopes to improve that ranking on the LPGA, but uh, I still don't see her getting there. There's the, the Order of Merit winner from the Ladies European Tour, Esther Hainsley. She's a great player. I still think she lacks that seasoning to win uh, and be that Rookie of the Year here. Then that's where, when it started to get even tougher because then I see, okay, Aldane Valenzuela, that two-time runner-up uh, at the U.S. Open, uh, U.S. Women's Amateur Championship. She skipped that semester, final semester at Stanford. She's to become a professional now in 2020. She has the Olympics in mind. She has all that uh, to go, but I still think she's a little down. Now, here is where it really, really got tough for me because I have been talking about Leona McGuire for two years already, and now here's the time that she becomes – a rookie on the LPGA. She won twice on the Symmetra Tour last year, and of course, she's maybe arguably one of the best players to come ever to come out of collegiate golf. That 135 weeks on top of the Women's World Golf uh, Amateur Rankings is the longest in history, and won twice in Symmetra Tour. Uh, the other uh, two that I am considering for that was uh, Yalimi No. Uh, 18 years old. Uh, she's the youngest player to be there. She's only 18. She turned down a scholarship at UCLA. They came close to winning twice last year as a Monday qualifier. I mean, she finished sixth at the Thornberry Classic. She was there close. And the other is another player that since before she started to play in the Symmetra Tour after she came out of UCLA. I say, you may not know this name, Patita Watanakit. But you will know who she is by the end of the year. And she yeah, destroyed her yeah. competition on the Symmetra Tour in 2019 in her first eight starts. She finished number two on that tour's money list in spite of not joining the tour until late June, playing less than half of the tournaments on the schedule. So between those three, I have to pick one. Sorry, Leona, I'm not going to pick you. I know I've been with you two <laughs> years <laughs> you waiting for her. this. You ah, I feel... 
I feel like I'm betraying you. I'm sorry, but I, I, I it was tough. Why did you? Why didn't you came up last year? But anyway, it leaves me down to two. Tabatanaki, the no. Ah, it's tough. No, 18 years old has all that potential. Tabatanaki, I said all along, this is the girl. So here it is, rookie of the year. Tabatanaki from Thailand yeah. this year. She's going to be the Sox Good choice. rookie of the year. I got That's a, it. I got a name for you, though, to watch, Carlos. I got I got Nuria. I know. I know. So, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you got to watch. I like her. I like her a lot. She's good. She's good. I just think she's just a slide before. Uh, she's got to work on her putting. Her putting is not there. Uh, yeah, she's got it. She gets her. It's her putting is holding her back. Right, right now, the the rookie um, that is leading right now, the Louis Suggs, is the Japanese Jui Kawamoto. But we're just uh, three tournaments into yeah, the season, yeah. so uh, it's yeah. a long competition. So we'll see. With that, I wrap up my final putt. So anything else you want to add before we go, we close the show? No, just urge everybody to check out Back Nine Report TV on Roku, also at backnightreport.com. Uh, also, uh, check out the Ohio Golf Journal, Michigan Golf Journal. Uh, new Michigan Golf Journal, the February issue just came out this week. Uh, Ohio, the uh, February issue of uh, Ohio Golf Journal will be coming out next week. Carlos, we're looking forward to seeing you Sunday night in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, we'll talk about that next Tuesday here on Block Talk Radio. If you miss our shows, you can check it out on tune in iTunes or tune in and you like you mentioned Roku TV. So back Niners, this wrap up another week. Thank you for listening to us. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to our VIG, very important guest of the week, Ari Fleischer. If you haven't done so, hey, go ahead, follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Back9Report with the number nine in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres, along with Fred Alvader. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody.